0: morning everyone it's great to see you do grab your your bibles there uh romans chapter one that would be great have it open as we look at it and uh, let's pray for god's help as well shall we um in uh, in 1 corinthians 11 paul says uh imitate me as i imitate christ um and and father this morning as uh, as we see him here in In Romans 1, um, imitating Christ's love for his people um, and his passion for his gospel. Would you please uh, use that to encourage us to be doing the same? We pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so my proposition for us this morning, my suggestion for us uh, is that the gospel. um, this gospel of God that, that Paul's been talking about uh, in Romans, it's like a chili. Okay? It's like a it's like a hot pepper. It's like a jalapeno. Okay, It's like a piri piri. All right. It's like a scotch bonnet. OK, it's spicy. In, in other words, now, before you shake your head in disbelief, um, before you say, Steve, you really need a holiday, mate. Um, or you need your head examining, or something like that, because you've gone off on one again. Let me just say, this is not my idea, okay? It's that of a chap called Theodoret, who was a, a bishop in the Syrian church in the 5th century, who likened the gospel to a pepper, he said, that outwardly seems to be cold, but the person who crunches it between his teeth experiences the sensation of burning fire. That's what the gospel's like. He said it might look cold, it might look unremarkable uh, on the outside, but you buy into this gospel of God, and you'll discover it's fiery, it's potent, right? Because the power of God is working through it. In other words, the power of God works through the gospel of God. Uh, or as verse sixteen puts it, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's what we're going to see this morning. One of the key things we'll see this morning as we look at this second part of Paul's introduction to his letter to the Romans. So verses seven to 17, kind of the second part of his introduction. Um, And and as we'll see, I think we get quite an insight into into Paul himself in in these uh, verses. I, I think we get into we get to see his heart. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether you've um, whether you've ever had pen pals. Do people have pen pals anymore? Do kids at school have pen pals? No, is that not that's not a thing anymore? Back in the day, you know, when I was at school, we used to have pen pals, and and um, uh, and, and so they would be somebody. Uh, school kids were in, were were kind of encouraged to write letters to somebody that we didn't previously know, somebody who lived in a completely different place, usually different country to us. I guess it was kind of uh, a way to. Um, a sort of encourage cross-cultural communication that kind of thing um, and and if you were ever involved in that as a, as a kid um, it's amazing the insights you get into someone that you've never met you know or never met in person just just by reading their letters and I think you can see that here with 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 Paul in these verses I think we get to see his heart here um, if, if you're around uh, uh, last week, you'll know that we 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 looked at Paul's greeting, those kind of opening six, uh, seven verses as he spells out who he is. You know, his his credentials as a servant of Christ and an apostle um, of Christ. And then we saw what his message is, didn't we? That it's the gospel of God. Verse 1, uh, which he unpacked to show that it's the same gospel that was promised in the Old Testament. Um, it's the gospel that's centered, that's focused on the person of Jesus. Um, we saw that it's the one gospel for all people. There isn't another one. And that calls those people to the obedience of faith. In Jesus Christ and and now now that he's done that he's kind of continuing his his introduction by addressing uh, the church in Rome I think in this very personal way that enables us to see his heart and and as we get a glimpse of what Paul's heart is uh, I think we can probably pick out a couple of things about him that we might actually want to hold up to ourselves and, and see to to what degree do we uh do we share these things with Paul? To what degree is our heart like his heart? I think we can do that here. So two things I think were shown a heart for God's people and then a passion for God's gospel, a heart for God's people, a passion for for God's gospel, so let's have a look at a heart for God's people in verses seven to thirteen. I want to take us back to verse seven. I know we read it last time, and as part of Paul's greeting, but we only mentioned it in passing, really. And I'd like us to notice here. This this might be a very uh, a statement of the blindingly obvious, but I want you to notice who the Romans are that he's writing to, and just see that they're Christians. You might have picked that up uh, easily enough already. But look, verse seven: to those in Rome who are loved by God. And called to be saints. And that word loved or beloved, um, it's, the, it's the same term that God applied in the, in the Old Testament to his, his people Israel. So, so Paul's emphasizing here that these Christian readers in, in Rome, they're, they're Paul, they're, they're God's own dear children. They're his chosen people. And, and then still in verse 7, they are people called to be saints. And and in the Bible, of course, that word saint, it's not a special title bestowed by a pope or someone that the the church or bestowed on by the church. It's just a it's just a term to describe any rank and file Christian, really anyone in whom God's spirit dwells. Uh, The word means uh, uh, holy ones or, or or holy people. Um, And again, it's a term that's often used in the Old Testament to refer to Israel. So once again, Paul, Paul, the Jew, remember, is acknowledging that these Roman Christians, too, they are part and parcel of the holy people of God. Um, He goes on, look in verse seven, grace to you and peace, which is a pretty standard greeting uh, of the day. It's quite possibly about as common as as hearing us say, uh, nice to see you uh, or, or what's up? If you're down with the kids, Um, you know, in other words, it's something that just kind of trips off the tongue without a lot of thought. It's something that maybe was long devoid of any real meaning. But but even a standard greeting like that, Paul sort of he kind of Christianizes it, if you like, or he gives fresh meaning to it by saying grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, And he does that, I think, to kind of make the point that true grace and peace, real grace and peace. Well, they come from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even a kind of a a customary blessing or or greeting turns, Paul turns it into something that is it's far from meaningless uh, because now he's rooted it in the promises of God. So we see who these Romans are that he's writing to. They might be they might be Gentiles largely, um, but they too are loved by God and called by God to be his special people. That's who they are. And as such, they're then the recipients of all the blessings of God's grace and peace. Right. The grace and peace that comes through Jesus Christ. To those whom God has called to himself, whether they're Jews or whether they're Gentiles. And friends, that's that's good for us, isn't it? Because most of us are Gentile Christians too, aren't we? We've got that same assurance, don't we? Just just as were the Jews in the Old Testament, just as were the, the Roman Gentiles here in Paul's letter. So we as Christians today as well, we are loved by God. We are called by God to be his special and holy people. And we're the recipients of all the blessings that he's had planned for us before we ever existed. You see, that's who they are and that's who we are. As Christians today, it's great, isn't it? But how how does he feel about them? Because I think this is where we get to see right into his his heart. Uh, uh, You can see the kind of personal warmth, the affection that he has for these Christians uh, in Rome, even though, and I, I think this makes it even more remarkable, even though he's never met most of them, you can see it in verse um, verse eight, can't you? Despite the fact he's never visited them, right? He's played no direct part part in planting the the church. He is delighted, and he's he's thankful to God for the reports that he's getting about them. Have a look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So so Paul's heart here is, I, I, I may not know you, I might never have met you, but I am thankful to God for you because all the churches that are springing up in, in different parts of the, the, the Roman world, in these different cities, they are hearing about your faith. They're hearing that the gospel's in Rome as well. And Rome, of course, is the it's the world's greatest city of the time, isn't it? It's the center of the the Roman Empire. And Paul is thrilled that the gospel's there, right? It's being proclaimed. It's transforming lives right in the middle of of the Roman world. And he's so thankful to God for them, so delighted. Um, And and not only that, but if you have a look at verse nine and ten. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. In other words, I may not know you, but I'm praying for you. That's that's quite... um, That's quite a thing, isn't it? Have you noticed how often we we can be guilty of, of saying to somebody, I'll pray for you. But actually, sometimes we forget. Or actually, sometimes we don't bother. Paul here wants them to know that he is praying for them. In fact, he he almost swears an oath there in verse nine, doesn't he? For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Do you get the picture? Uh, You know, as God is my witness. And, and you, can, you can see his heart here, can't you? Paul, the, the appointed um, uh, apostle to the Gentiles, the, the guy who set apart from the Lord, filled with passion to see the gospel brought to the Gentile world, he's had nothing to do with bringing the gospel to Rome, the, the heart of that Gentile world. God's had other Christians d- d- doing that work instead. But there's no hint of jealousy here, there's no kind of sour grapes on on Paul's part. Rather, he's thankful to God for the faith of other Christians. People he's only heard about. And he wants them to know about his unceasing prayer for them. I reckon that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Certainly a challenge for me. It's, it's, easy, um, it's easy for us, isn't it? Especially easy for pastors. I'm sure it's easy for lots of us to, to be really glad... When the people that we're preaching to or sharing our faith with, when they come to faith in Christ. That's, that's just like a huge encouragement, isn't it? But actually, we need to be just as glad, you know, along with those in heaven, over every sinner who repents. No matter where they may be, no matter who's been involved in that process. Because the gospel is not about anyone's glory other than God's. And Paul, he just delights to give thanks to God and to pray continually for for people and for gospel work that he's got no other involvement in at all. And you know, I, I reckon that might cause us to consider how we pray. You know, it may cause us to reflect on the amount of time we spend in prayer for the gospel work that we are involved in, <laughs> in comparison to the work that maybe we're not involved in. So this is how he feels about them. I I, I may not know you, but I thank God for you. And and I'm constantly in prayer for you. And and with having a heart like that, it's hardly surprising then that he specifically prays, Look, end of verse 10, that God would enable him to, to come and see them face to face. Um, One of the things you may love, I I certainly love, is is when we get one of our mission partners coming to actually visit us. Sometimes it happens in the summer, doesn't it? In the summer holidays. Um, And and it would be great, wouldn't it, if if folk from here could go and visit them as well. What a fabulous thing to do. Because isn't it just the case, don't you find this, that when you're thankful to God for the ministry of others, when, when you're holding people up in their prayers, in your prayers, Don't you just want to meet them and spend time with them and get to know them? Um, I'm going to be up in the north in a a few months time, uh, preaching up in the north. And on my way back, uh, I'm popping in to visit Dan James. Some of you will know Dan James. He planted a church or he he was uh, asking for prayer for planting a church on the Ayres Monsell estate in uh, in Leicester uh, when he was preaching here last uh, last summer he's, he's visited us a few times he's encouraged us with his preaching we've prayed for that church plant that church plant is has now happened It had its first uh, service I think last week or the week before um, and 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 I, I'm really looking forward to being able to go and visit him and go along to that church plant that we've been praying for and see firsthand that new church family and encourage them where they are as he's encouraged us where we are and that, that's that's Paul's longing here. It's his dream. He, he would just love to go and see the, the, the church in Rome. Um, you'll notice his prayer uh, in verse 10 is that somehow by God's will, it might be possible. So it's, it's a humble prayer, isn't it? it? It's not a prayer that that sort of presumes to know what God wants. It's a prayer that says effectively, you know, not my will, but your will be done. Which which isn't an easy thing to pray, is it? When when your prayer is also the deepest longing of your heart. (laughs) Um, But that's how he prays. He submits his own will to God's will. But why does he want to see them? Okay, Why does he not just want to be thankful for them, prayerful for them, but actually go and see them as well? Have a look at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift To strengthen you. So his motivation is to strengthen them, isn't it? His heart is to kind of further encourage and strengthen and establish them in the faith. But notice, too, and and perhaps this is because he he doesn't know them. uh, He senses they they might misunderstand, you know, his 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 pastoral concern for them as sort of lording it over them. So he kind of rephrases. He he clarifies what he means uh, in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Do you see he kind of rephrases what he what he means to stress that he he doesn't want to visit them just to encourage them, but also so that he, too, would be encouraged by them. Do you see? Um, in other words, he, he wants to he wants to emphasize that his his dream is longing of of visiting them. is not it's not about him as the kind of the great apostle you know, coming to impart to them some kind of great blessing. Now, this is Paul, thankful for their faith, constantly in prayer for them, longing to visit so that he and they might be mutually encouraged. And friends, you know, I, I just think that is, a, that is a fundamental principle of gospel ministry, isn't it? It's never one way. We're never, I think, involved in ministering to someone else without also being ministered to ourselves. Is that is that your experience? That's definitely my experience. You know, another thing about being a pastor, I suppose, is that some of the meetings that we we have with people on the surface of it are because I'm there to minister to them, to help them in some way. To be honest, it's never like that. Because God uses those times to encourage me. Right? Minister to me through the faith of the people that I'm with. I'm sure we all find that to be the case, don't we? If we, if we think about the time that we've just had together. I, th- I think it's true about midweek groups as well. I think it's true about Sunday gatherings as well. We might think that we're going to those things to be ministered to. Uh, to, be, to be built up by others, and, and of course you, you will be if you come regularly enough to enable that to happen, that, that will happen. But actually, just the fact that you're there is also an amazing encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ, let alone what you might say that will encourage them. So we, we shouldn't let our motivation to, to kind of come and gather uh, or, or to meet up with a brother or sister you know, simply be one of receiving should we? Because as we as we pray for each other, as we unpack the Bible together, as we talk about doing mission uh, together and life together, mutual strengthening is, is taking place, isn't it? And, and not even the great apostle Paul expects to minister to others without being ministered to himself. Striking, isn't it? So he longs to come to them to strengthen them and to be strengthened by them. Um, and, and then notice also uh, end of verse 13, he, he kind of gives another motive for, for, for wanting to come, doesn't he? That I might reap some harvest among you. So, so here it's like not, not just his, his pastor's heart, if you like, to, to strengthen, to encourage the, the Christians, but also his evangelist's heart as well. He's, he's won people to Christ in, in other uh, uh, cities. He wants to, he longs to come and do the same thing there uh, as well. And, and that's, that's natural enough. Isn't it? If you look at verse fourteen, he describes himself as under obligation to to both Greeks and barbarians, or non-Greeks, to to the wise and the foolish. In in other words, he's he's been appointed as as apostle to all the Gentiles, no matter who they are, no no matter what they're like. He he, he's under obligation to them to bring the gospel to them. So he just longs to reap a harvest in Rome as, as well. So do you see how we're kind of getting a glimpse? Into the heart of Paul here. And and what a remarkable heart he has for God's people, doesn't he? And I think made all the more remarkable by the fact that he's had no real contact with them. I, I, I may not know you, but I'm, I thank God for you. I may not know you, but I'm praying constantly for you. I may not know you, but I'm longing to come and see you. To strengthen you and be encouraged by you and reap a harvest among you as I share among you the the gospel of God that 's been entrusted to me and friends i, I don 't know about you, but but um, as I put paul 's heart here up against mine, I found mine wanting um, so maybe a prayer, certainly my prayer for me for for us is that God would give us such hearts, such such gospel driven warmth affection for god's people and and for brothers and sisters that we don't even know so there's uh, there's Paul's heart for god's people um, but let's also see his passion for god's gospel uh, in verses 14 to 17 and you can see can't you how passionately he feels about this gospel of God verse 14 I'm under obligation he says I've I've got this obligation to to pay to to bring the gospel to the Gentiles or or verse 15 I'm eager to preach the gospel so it's like I'm straining at the leash to do it right let me loose (laughs) I'm in the blocks I'm, I'm totally up for this and, and then, verse sixteen, i'm not ashamed of the gospel so so why is he not ashamed of it, but rather eager to preach it that's actually that's actually quite an important question, isn't it because um because how many of us would say that we are eager to proclaim the gospel, to share our faith with others you know when a, when a when a friend or a neighbor Somebody gives us an opportunity to talk about our faith. Is our reaction eagerness? Or might we too sometimes be tempted to feel a bit ashamed of the gospel? Well, Paul says, I- I'm not ashamed of it. And we might think, well, maybe it's different for, for Paul. You know, because if I share the gospel with someone, I'm going to get flack. You know, people are going to think I'm a fruitcake. Yeah, or a Bible basher. Something that I might be treated differently by my friends. If I share the gospel or my family, I I might be thought of as different or odd or or even someone to avoid. Can I just say probably they think that about you anyway. Right. If you're a Christian, so you haven't really got anything to lose, have you? Um, And anyway, it wasn't any different for Paul. In fact, if anything, it was way worse for Paul wasn't it how how much ridicule do you think paul would get by proclaiming that god's chosen messiah the king of the universe that that god's appointed as king overall was was a jew that had just been executed by the romans how much ridicule do you think he'd get for proclaiming that but paul says i'm not ashamed of the gospel But nevertheless, he does understand the temptation to feel ashamed, doesn't he? He knows, you know, as he puts it in in 1 Corinthians 1, he knows that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. So so you don't need to make the point that you're not ashamed of the gospel unless you know there's a real temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. And and Paul knows, just, just like us, Paul knows what it is to live in a culture where the gospel is despised. He knows what that's like and he's no different from us in that he wants to be loved and accepted by people rather than kind of ridiculed and ostracized uh, by people. So, So what is it then that enables him to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Well, look at verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. In other words, people may despise the gospel. They may think it's for for weak people who need a crutch to lean on or for deluded people with no better sense. And indeed, the world may prefer to boast in its power. But, you know, despite all the world's progress and technology and so on, it's still in the same mess, isn't it? It can't solve the inherent problem of sin. But you see, Paul knows That the gospel is God's power to save people from their sin. People around uh, Paul may have mocked and, and crucified Christ. But Paul knows that when Christ died on the cross. God's power to save was unleashed on the world. So he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for salvation. That the power of God works through the gospel of God. So I'm, I'm not going to be ashamed of that gospel. And friends, I wonder whether you uh, this morning uh, know something of that in your own life. Do, do you know what it is to call God your father? Do, do you know what it is to be forgiven and made righteous in God's sight and have all your sin Expunged. Do you know what it is to to know the transforming power of the gospel in your own life? Do you, do you know that? Well, then how can we be ashamed of that gospel when we know that it's God's power for salvation? You'll notice as well that that it's not the end of the sentence, is it? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other other words, God God doesn't kind of pick and choose on the the basis of merit or or on the basis of social standing or or on the merit on the basis of of class or ethnicity or something like that. God God doesn't say, oh, it's only for Jews or he doesn't say it's only for those who are respectable. Or, or it's only for those who work hard for it. No, the gospel is for everyone who believes, and it's for everyone because the way that the gospel saves people is the same for everyone, and that's by faith, by yeah. believing. This this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? This is the the core of Paul's message. This is what he unpacks right right through the. The letter. And it's here in verse 17 as well, where where Paul states, I think, uh, this verse, the theme verse for the letter uh, and and tells us why the gospel is the power, uh, God's power for salvation. Have a look at verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, so the gospel, Paul says, is God's power for your salvation and mine, because in it God reveals His righteousness. Okay, and we might kind of scratch our heads a bit at that. Think oh, that's a bit surprising. You know, if, if I said to you, "What does the gospel reveal about God?" You, you might say, it "Reveals God's love." Uh, in the gospel or, or God's grace or, or mercy in the gospel. And, and of course, that, that would be right, wouldn't it? But what Paul says here is that we see God's righteousness revealed in, in the gospel. That That's God's uh, God's attribute of, of being right, of being just. That's not necessarily what we might think of right away, is it? So, so why does he stress that here? Why does he stress that God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel? Well, it's because the, 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 the message of the gospel is that in Jesus, God has, God has opened up a way but by which sinful, guilty uh, people like us can be brought back into a relationship with God in such a way that God has been perfectly righteous, perfectly just in the way that he's done it. Right? In other words, in such a way that our sin has been really dealt with. Right? Not not just kind of swept under the carpet and forgotten, but but really got rid of. And I, I don't know about you, that gives me massive assurance. Because if I thought that God dealt with my sin by sweeping it under the carpet and just saying, well, let's just pretend that never happened, shall we? Well, I would think, well, how can God be just if he's prepared to do that? How can he be a righteous God if he's just prepared to leave sin, even my sin, just kind of unpunished, like it doesn't even matter. That's not a God you can have a lot of confidence in, is it? I, I, I might well be left wondering, well, well, have I, have I really been forgiven? Because surely justice has to be served, doesn't it? But the, the gospel of God that, that Paul is so passionate about here is that God has made a way whereby we can be saved by God righteously. In other words, with, with justice still being served. And that way is for the penalty of my sin to fall not on me, but on Jesus instead of me. And that means that justice has been served. And yet I can be confident that the penalty for my sin will not be required of me because Jesus has paid it already. Do, do, do you see? Because because God's righteous. He, he won't punish sin more than once. And my sin has already been paid for. Because Jesus has paid it for me. Which means that God's righteousness is demonstrated. He's shown to be righteous. And it means that I am truly forgiven and declared righteous in God's sight. Isn't that? Staggering. How could we be ashamed of a gospel like that? There's, there's more. Look, Middle of verse 17. This is a righteousness that is from faith for faith or, or um, it's a righteousness that begins and ends with faith. Uh, it, it's, it's by faith from first to last. And and then he quotes, you'll see there's a a quote there uh, uh, from the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament to kind of support the point. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, if we want to receive God's righteousness for ourselves, we access that by faith and it leads on to a life of faith. And friends, this is the great truth of the gospel. Isn't it? It's the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion or or from mere religion. It's the truth that we can't work our way into the good books of God. It's received by faith and it leads to a life of faith. There are no works that we can do. No kind acts, no religious ceremonies, no moral lifestyle, no personal performance that can come close to meeting god's standards there's no way that we can somehow climb up to him through stuff that we do you know through through our own merits we just can't do it but we don't have to because in jesus god has come down to us and he's done it all for us so that we can stand in a right relationship with him simply by placing our faith our trust in him this is the gospel of god right the message that paul longs to come and share among them that the message that he's writing this letter to them in order to to lay out for them so so what we see here really it's it's a summary of what he's going to unpack through the through the letter and you know one challenge here for us friends i I think is to be reminded that this gospel is powerful right it's the means by which he will save people and what makes it powerful to save is that it's saving power is not dependent on human achievement it's it's dependent upon simply believing this gospel of god in other words, the good news of being made right with God is that you don't have to achieve it because Christ has already achieved it for you on the cross so that God can save everyone who simply trusts in what Christ has already done. Do you see, if, if God only saved those who achieved something or, or belonged to some privileged group, Or or had some extra privilege that others didn't have. Well the gospel would only be any good for those who qualified for it. But that's not the case. It's for everyone. Because what the gospel reveals is that salvation is all about God's grace. And that grace can reach anyone without distinction. As as they simply reach out and, and grasp hold of it by faith. And and that means that if you haven't done that yet, all you need to do is reach out and place your trust in the gospel of God to save you. And if you have done that, as most of us here have. Then, friends, let's not be ashamed of it. It's the power of God. For salvation. But rather, let's be eager To proclaim it, to preach it, to share it with the needy communities around us in a multitude of different ways. You know, as we um, as we help one another to build friendships with those who don't know Christ yet. As we work together in the local church in evangelism, as we share what we know of the Lord Jesus with those that God brings us into contact with and then invite them to come and hear some more. As we support the church planting initiatives that we have going on and the mission partners that we support to see that gospel shared in other places, too. Friends, let's not be ashamed of the gospel because the the power of God is still working through the gospel of God today. Just like it's always done. Should we pray? Let's pray. Gracious, loving father, um, you know our weakness. Um, you know how so often we have a, uh, a lack of heart for your people, um, lack of passion for your gospel. Um, thank you so much for reminding us this morning that you uh, offer salvation to us all without distinction. Um, help us to be Uh, passionate about seeing it proclaimed to all show us how we might use the time the gifts the resources you've you've given us towards that end and all of this we pray in jesus name amen